Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. They had a deal. Talk Recorded okay. live. Let me finish with that, Dave. They had a deal going, which was uh, buy one, get one half, which would be $88, or, and another buy three at, for 118 and so I said, what's the best price you could give me for five? Well, first of all, I have to say with their tech department and their, and their uh, support system, they answer you immediately. They get right back to you and they stay with you until whatever issue you are involved in is to your satisfaction. But she came back and gave me, um, gave me wholesale on them. And so I got all five of them for 175, and it would have been 220 something, close to 230, had I bought them the other way. So as Dave likes to always say, you don't know if you don't ask. And I got a good deal. Yeah, yeah, that worked out real good. Well, good evening, everybody. Welcome to Dallas Death Discussion for Christmas Day. Not Christmas Eve, Christmas Day of 2017 we have no more calls left after tonight this year our next one will be 2018 uh we do have a number of people that have joined us tonight not a huge crowd but uh, uh more than two or three or four or five so uh <clears throat> i can see there's a, a lot of people that are uh, interested in spending at least a little bit of time with us tonight uh, as I've always said, this is your call. I'm just the one that pushes the buttons and makes it happen. And uh, we are not breaking a string of being here every Monday night for, uh, what, eight and a half years. So uh, here we are. But uh, I'll do a quick disclaimer, of course, and tell everybody that what you hear on this call is discussion. That's why it's called Dallas Debt Discussion. It's not legal advice. If you want that, Go find yourself a bar-licensed attorney and ask them for legal advice. They'll probably charge you for it because I don't know too many lawyers that work for free. Matter of fact, I don't know any that work for free. So uh, if you want legal advice, you're not going to find it here. We discuss things, and we try and help people learn about the consumer protection statutes, the proper use of the courts, keyword there, proper use, and Terry and John and myself, I don't see John on the board right now. He's got family and stuff, and it is Christmas. Uh, Terry is with us. But uh, the moderators, uh, we all litigate in federal court. We all have experience litigating there, so we speak from a certain amount of personal experience. And uh, it doesn't mean we're experts. It doesn't mean we have experienced everything in federal court, because we're not. And we're not experts. We're much more knowledgeable than most people running around out here in this world regarding the, the uh, uh, consumer protection statutes, regarding the debt issues. 
and the Telephone Consumer Protection Act, and we're pretty knowledgeable in a lot of things uh, involving how to use the courts properly. But if we don't know the answer, we'll tell you we don't know the answer, and we will point you, or at least try and point you, in a direction to where you can find the information that you need to deal with the situation that you have. Now, with all that said, of course, we always want to start with good news. And uh, to do that, we don't uh, request that anybody raise their hand if anybody has any good news about something. All they have to do is speak up. And then after we get done with that, we'll go to uh, any Q&A or comments that people have. And for that, uh, I do ask that people hit star 8 to put yourself in the queue for a question or a comment. But for good news right now, all you have to do is speak up. So the floor is yours. Oh, goodness. All right. Well, I hope everybody had a good Christmas. I had a good Christmas. It was wonderful. I I've just I've spent my day here working, uh, doing analysis on a number of things, being frustrated with the slow movement of cryptocurrencies through the system because uh, I bought some more Ethereum on Coinbase today, and it took four hours for it to get over uh, to hit uh, BTC, the exchange where I'm going to be buying several things. Oh, and one I, of our members uh, already had an account at Gemini, and I, I, I would like to bring that up. She's trying to get some uh, some coin over to uh, hit BTC to buy some EOS. And I will just say this about Gemini. It's a lot more difficult to move money from there than it is through Coinbase. Let's just say that. Well, uh, yeah, I I set up an an account at Coinbase, or I mean, excuse me, Gemini. But in order to be verified, I have to wire them money. We can't because my bank. There's only certain banks that they have on their verified list, and if your yeah. bank is not one of them. Yeah. Then the only way you can get verified is you have to wire money to them. And even then, if your bank is one of the list, that's the problem for her. Uh, the bank is closed, and like you know, for me, like going through uh, Coinbase, um, I used my Walmart debit card. Okay. Right. And that's GE Retail, uh, Synchrony, Green Dot, and it's all computerized and it's twenty four seven. And it never closes. It doesn't matter if the bank, a, a brick-and-mortar bank, is open or closed or not. But through Gemini, when you're using one of those big banks, if the bank is closed, then you're held up those days. So she's held up until tomorrow, probably. Oh, trying to use a debit card or, or needing to wire? Uh, just to get money from, to verify money from the account, her account. Oh, oh, I see. Oh, okay. Where they do the, you know, like uh, two little deposits or withdrawals or something like that to test withdrawals? Um, I don't think so. It was something else, and I don't yeah. remember what what she said. But it yeah. was for something that going through Coinbase and just using the Walmart card, uh, actually the last time I did it took, what, uh, not even a minute? Yeah. Yeah, today is the longest I've actually had to wait for currency to be moved from one place to another. It took four hours. 
right. longest previously to that. So was I just thought I'd bring that up for anybody oh, yeah. who's thinking about going through something like the Gemini as opposed to Coinbase. Okay. Yeah, and Gemini, uh, basically what you're going to pay for the currency is going to be close to what Coinbase is going to – they're going to charge you a premium price for it. Well, I mean, that's just, just that's just part of the the situation that's out there. Right. So the other good piece of advice is if you are just using Coinbase the way we use it, we don't leave money sitting in there. We use it as a pass-through to get it where we want it to, to buy what we want. But when you go through Coinbase, you can you have to do it by buying Ethereum or Bitcoin or what's the other one, Dave? Well, Litecoin, and now you can do a Bitcoin Cash as well. Okay, by just okay you got those four. Now, but if you're going to move your money into Coinbase by buying Bitcoin, then when you move it over to hit BTC, you are going to get a hit with a FTC. Whereas if you do it through Ethereum, it's going to be like... The fraction. fee is a fraction. It's a tiny fraction of the fee that you pay using Bitcoin to move your money. I will never do... I kind of had to when I did it, but it cost me $13 to move 73 bucks. Yeah. That's and today uh, today I moved 400 bucks, and it cost me $1.32. Right. As I recall, it cost the first time I did it, it was thirteen, and the second time I did it, it was I moved thirty-two cents, wasn't it? It was thirty-six cents. I moved more money, um, but it, I think it was one hundred ten dollars or something. But I did it through Ethereum, so the whole fee was thirty-six cents. Now you can't even compare that to thirteen dollars, almost fourteen dollars. Yeah. Yeah, things have gotten very expensive on the Bitcoin network to move stuff around. So this is all part of what's going on out here. And if, if anybody is, you know, paying any attention to the uh, the cryptocurrencies, you know that uh, several days ago on the twenty second, uh, that a lot, the majority of your cryptocurrencies took a pretty good dive. Uh, uh, a week ago, yesterday. Bitcoin was at twenty thousand, and it went down to eleven thousand three hundred. So it's almost a fifty percent haircut. And but of course, you know, if you're one of those people that bought at twenty thousand, you were a happy camper. Right, but then I noticed over the last few days, over this holiday, it's kind of, kind of stagnant, leveled out, up and down a little bit, staying you know, at least EOS is. You know, between uh, seven. They, they all pretty much have done that. Some yeah. of them have bounced back. Right now, Bitcoin is at thirteen thousand six fifty, and yeah. uh, EOS, you know, went down uh, a good ways, and it's at eight seventeen. It, it had been right. up at twelve, and it went down to, uh, just a hair under six, and now it's it's been hanging around between eight and eight twenty for uh, the better yeah. part of the day. But then, you know, three weeks ago when, when I got into it, it was $3.74. Yeah. So, um, you know, th this is the thing for anybody new and thinking about cryptos. Th this is just the early stages. You buy into it, and if you want it to drive you nuts, go watch it 20 times a day. Yeah. If you don't want to go nuts, and you, you know, invest for the long term. If you're not a trader, buy it 
and put it away and leave it alone. Go do other stuff. Spend your time on that instead of hovering over it. I'm a trader, so I sit here and I, you know, I've got this stuff up in front of me on screens all the time. It's it's up on the screen unless I'm working on other things. But <clears throat> point is, this is a long-term investment. If you're going to be smart about it, unless you're a knowledgeable trader, don't even think about trading in and out of it. Uh, the the thing is, buy in now to the proper things. And then just sit on it, and it will reward you greatly over the next year to two to three years. And EOS, EOS as we call it, uh, is going to be one of the big ones. And at $8, it's cheap. It's way cheap from what it's going to be in the future. Right. And I know people that got in at 58 cents. Yeah. So um, there, uh, there is another one. If people are interested in it, uh, there's actually two of them that if people want to go into these, they're very uh, inexpensive. They're very, 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 very low price right now. The future looks very, 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 very bright for them. They come highly recommended by knowledgeable people. And uh, one of those is uh, CND. Yeah, I got into that one. Right. But CND is the symbol, and it's trading at five cents. So you get about 20 of them for a dollar. And I'll just tell everybody that I've I've bought over 13,000, and I'm going to buy some more. Okay, that's, you know, I'm, I'm putting some money into it. What did, what did I I think I got uh almost six sixteen. Sixteen hundred, yeah. Sixteen hundred of them. Yeah. What's the other one besides the uh the the other one that uh if people wanna uh that's very low priced if you wanna get into for a longer term deal is Siacoin. S I A C O I N. And we should mention, when you get into hit BTC, you'll see a big, long list of them. Just because they're there doesn't make them good. So do your homework before you do it. Uh, if we haven't talked about these particular, and you should do your homework anyway. But um, just because, for instance, there's one on there uh, called BCN. Well, no. we, don't, we don't necessarily know anything about no, that. No, 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 don't do that. Don't do that. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Don't do it if you don't know something about it. And, you know, I would say, well, ask Dave if he knows anything about that and uh, go do some Googling and some research on it because, like I said, just because they're listed there is not an uh, endorsement of hit BTC. Yeah, 99%. Of the, there's so many of these coins out here, crypto coins. Ninety-nine percent of them will eventually go bust. Yeah. So you got to be in that one percent, and that's why you don't want to just load up everything and buy just one thing. You, there's certain ones that have got a high probability of really being the the home run. And when I say home run ball, some of these are going to have the potential. If you're in Philadelphia and you hit a home run, the ball is going to land in Pittsburgh. And it's mostly 
due to two things, their purpose, number one, and the second thing is the level of technology behind them. Well, and how much of it there is. Right. And um, those three things, and that is the make or break on these that are going to become like EOS, you know, going to be up in the top five. Right. The the SIA coin uh, right now is trading at about 2.8 cents. So, you know, just under three cents. So, you know, you can... Is that listed as SIA coin on... SIA coin, yeah. I don't see it's it. It's SC as a symbol. Oh, S as in Sam C. Sam, Sam. Because I don't see it on the list. SC, it's it's down. You you have to buy it. You can't buy it with U.S. dollar token or Ethereum. You got to buy it with uh, Bitcoin. The only the only exchange you got is you got to go into the Bitcoin. Uh. It's not one that's flexible. See, some of these currencies, you guys, like on on HitBTC, um, some of them you can buy with U.S. dollar token, which is Tether. That is actually another uh, uh, token currency. You you can get those. Uh, You can buy it with U.S. dollar token. You can buy it with Ethereum, or you can buy them with uh, Bitcoin, which is BTC. Uh, some of them are, are more limited, just like SiaCoin. Uh, there's not very many exchanges where you can get it. But, uh, in fact, I'm going to click on this. And, uh, you can get it at Bittrex, Poloniex, uh, HitBTC, and then there's two other ones that I'm not even going to mention because uh, two of them don't even have any volume. So uh, the biggest volume is going through Bittrex. The next biggest volume is going through Poloniex, which is a U.S.-based. To give you an idea of the 24-hour volume, dollar volume in this stuff, Bittrex, uh, in the last 24 hours has done a little over 59 million. Poloniex has done just under 28 million. Uh, HitBTC has only done 236,000. And see the price now. Hitbit, uh, hit BTC. The price is uh, 0.0478, almost uh, 4.8 cents. You can get it on Poloniex for 2.8. So this is why you need to look around at this stuff. I've got uh, accounts set up at multiple exchanges. I've got accounts at Bittrex, Binance. HitBTC, Poloniex, Kraken. So um, I can move, you know, currency to any one of those and buy if they've got the best price. So this is what you got to do. There, there is variations between these exchanges. There's definitely variations between the exchanges. So uh, anyway. Now that we've had a little <clears throat> crypto discussion there, uh, does anybody have any good news that's come on that they want to bring up? And nobody's got any good news. All right. Well, uh, if anybody's got a question or a comment, all you got to do is hit star eight. We have somebody from Eastern Maryland that has their hand up, so we'll take 
that question. Marilyn, you're up to bat. Go ahead. Hi, Dave. Hi, Terry. Happy holidays. Well, thank you. Merry Christmas to you. Thank you. It's been quite a while since I've been on the call. And matter of fact, Terry, I'm going to try to email you because I want to join the group again. It's been many a uh, couple of years since I left um, What Lies in Your Debt. But I'm at a point in my FDCPA case that I really need to get my information again from um, the group. I have been fighting a foreclosure since 2013 in Maryland. And I, I filed an FDCPA case in 2013, also in Maryland, and it's been ongoing. I had to... FDCPA case is still ongoing? It's still ongoing. Um, The judge stated that the debt collector's attorneys were not debt collectors, and I had to appeal it. I won my appeal in 2016. Oh, yeah. The judge was absolutely wrong. Exactly. Yeah, and um, the appeal court stated that they find that they were debt collectors and that any attempt that they take to collect um, to foreclose is regulated by the FDCPA. Uh-huh. But what they would not do was say that they violated the FDCPA. Well, no, so, you've got to no. prove that. Right. Yeah, That's so not once, the appeals court's job to do it. Once it got remanded back down to the court, now the judge is stating that um, the debt collectors never verified and validated the debt. They're in violation of 1692 GB. Um, so he gave me an opportunity to amend my complaint, and I had to get the complaint in by December the 13th. Well, I did get it in, and it was filed timely. Also, in 2016, I filed a second FDCPA claim against the same debt collectors for continuous violations of the FDCPA because they ran me into the bankruptcy court and I discharged the debt. So when I came out of bankruptcy court, they were still trying to collect the same debt, and I told them to verify and validate the debt and to prove that they have a secured interest in the property. They ignored me. So on that case, the second case, he also gave me 151692GB. He consolidated the two cases. I was going to say, and then I would think they'd be consolidated. Yep. So he consolidated the two cases. As the 22nd, which was Friday, I did check over the weekend, and the other side... They, he told them they had an opportunity to put in an opposition if they wanted to. They went ahead and answered the complaint. I don't know what to do at this point since they didn't answer the complaint and they put in defenses. Well, you start, you go forward just like you did with your original one. Uh, you, uh, there should be a scheduling order and then you start into discovery. So I don't have to answer what they just put in? No, no, no. You don't answer their answer. Okay. No. Because the judge told them back in March of this um, this year 
that they had 14 days to um, answer my third amended complaint. Well, Mm -hmm. they did not do it. So about 30 days after that, I just filed a fourth amended complaint and consolidated the two since he said they were going to be consolidated. Then they put in a motion to (laughs) strike my fourth amended complaint. And I put in my reasons why I shouldn't be um, stricken because they um, defaulted on what the judge said. Well, the same judge who is not my biggest fan because I've asked him to recuse himself off the case, I think he's trying not to show the bias that he has towards pro se litigants, and that's why he gave me an opportunity to amend it. Yeah. Well, he already he already got thumped once by the appellate court. Okay. They don't another, like that. <laughs> another thing I want to know, um, am I at the point that I really don't know if I can continue with um, going back and forth with these people? Should I consider getting an attorney? Why? Sounds to me if this has been going on since... 13 that you're doing all right on your own. You've been to the appellate court and won, and it's back, and things are moving forward. Yeah, but I'm still in the state. They're still in the state court. They 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 were never supposed to continue because they never verified and validated the debt. I'm getting clobbered in the state court. They're not listening to any reasoning. Well, that's typical. So right now See, that's why we always do everything in federal court. State courts are corrupt. I can't. Um, I can't help it if they filed the foreclosure action. Once they filed it, I did put in a motion to vacate the um, the state court action because of what the appellate court stated that any attempt that these people take is for is regulated by the FDCPA. So I have to do an appeal. They wouldn't give me a hearing. Um, they wouldn't give me an injunction. So well, 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 wait a minute. On what were you trying to do in the state court? In the state court, once the appellate court came back with that decision, and the judge stated that they never verified and validated the debt, I went into the state court and asked um, and put in a motion to vacate. Vacate what? Vacate the foreclosure action. Because well, no, that's improper. Why is it improper? Well, you can't vacate an action, uh, a foreclosure action. If they didn't you can, have a you can right vac- to You can vacate a judgment. Okay, no, I went in to vacate the motion to dis- all the denials of the motion to dismiss the action. No, that's actually improper. Well... That's, well, I'm in the appeals court on that, and plus they didn't give me an injunction nor a hearing. Um, I put in for a motion for injunction relief. They yeah, you got you got to you got to be careful. You got to remember one thing: your FDCPA. You don't want to bring that into the state case. Not bringing it into the state case. Yeah. What I'm bringing in, and what I'm saying is, if it was illegally filed, the State didn't have subject matter jurisdiction over the matter. That's what I'm saying. Well, they why? Because they didn't validate the debt. If you you can't continue collecting on the debt, my understanding with the FDCPA, 
until there is validation of the debt. And they well, have- it's a violation of the FDCPA, right? It doesn't stop a, it doesn't stop a foreclosure action. And okay, well that's what I'm going on. I'm going on that. I'm yeah. Taking- and I'll take it all the way if I have to, even to the Supreme Court, because they violated the FDCPA. Yeah, but the FDCPA and foreclosure are two different things. Right. you got to understand, the FDCPA is a federal statute. Yes, it is. And, and foreclosure has nothing to do with federal statute at all. So even though they may be in violation of a federal statute, that has no bearing on the state foreclosure case. Okay, but... 1692I says that for a debt collector to have an interest in real property, they must do it in a judicial district. My state non-judicial foreclosure action is not a judicial district. Uh, okay. it, you're, you're, no, I, I think you're, you're misconstruing. Yeah, you're, you're misconstruing things, sir. Um, the, you can't use the, the federal law to stop a foreclosure. Okay. Well, Dave, I might can't do it, but that's the direction I'm going in. Oh, okay. Because I don't have any any anything to go after in the state court. Like I said, I've been fighting for five years right. in the state court, ducking and dodging, and I've already came to the realization that I'm if I lose in the state court, I'm going to accept that. I did what I wanted to do. I'm going to win in the federal court. Right. And did you ask for actual damages in your federal suit? Actual damages? Did, did I? I had a whole per, a whole page of actual damages. Oh, okay, okay. I just uh, I just wanted to make sure that you asked for actual damages because sometimes people write the the lawsuit and they they ask for the statutory damages and stuff and they oh. don't ask for actual damages and the court can't give you something you don't ask for actual actual dam- definitely i put in actual damages okay good good but um my concern was because i don't understand once they answer what's the next what do i do next the judge told them back in march for them to answer the third amendment complaint cuz he wants to do the scheduling order. He does it himself. Right. This judge. Right. That's exactly what happens. Okay. And, Terry, is it any way that I can get in touch with someone so that I can get a partner with what lies in your debt again? Is it anything that you can suggest? Okay. You need to send me an email Uh at at queensongbird at gmail.com. I don't at this moment have someone on the list, but others are listening to the call. So the first person who speaks up and says they're willing to share or they're looking for a partner, then I can hook you up. But I have to have you email me to be put on that list. Okay, that will be great. Okay. All right, so don't I don't have to do anything. That's what you're saying, Dave? That's correct. You don't – see, you don't answer their – their answer. Otherwise, it would just keep going back and forth and nothing would ever move forward. You make the complaint, they answer, then the court issues, in our district, they issue an order governing proceedings telling you when you got to do your 26F and stuff like that. 
and and then going forward. And then once you do that stuff, you submit your 26F report, then they issue the scheduling order. Yours may be a little different than that, but it's going to be similar. Maybe you don't get the order governing proceedings issued. But okay. you, you don't have to answer them once they answer. The, you know, they... They've said, "Oh, we didn't do it. We're, you know, we're not guilty, and so on and so forth." Like, okay, well, now the process starts. Now you start to dance. The judge gets to move forward, and he will issue a scheduling order saying, "Okay, you know, this is uh, when you got to do your 26F conference by this date, and so on and so forth." And uh, then you'll uh, move forward, and he'll figure things out as as far as when discovery deadlines are and all that other stuff. Now, Terry, I heard you say on a call, I heard you talking to someone about a joint stipulation, a joint stipulation protective order. Joint stipulated protective order. Now, what what does that consist of, or what would I have to do to put one of those together? Okay, you need to get back on the website because there is a good one, uh, Mm -hmm. a a draft... um, example of one that you can just use. Um, usually, if you let the other side draft it, you got to be real careful because they're going to try to put every protection under the sun in there for themselves and none for you. And so you don't necessarily want them doing it. But the whole purpose of doing that is what it does is it establishes what can and cannot be considered proprietary or a work product or confidential or uh, what's the other big one, Dave? Uh, Confidential, oh, trade secret. Okay. And that you want that and you want it in there as fast as you can get it in there before discovery because when you have it and, and they'll always drag their heels and come up with every excuse not to get it done because it's their favorite toy, okay? If you don't have a joint stipulated protective order in place, or at the very least, if you can't get their cooperation, you file it unilaterally with the court, have that protective order in place. If you don't have that, then when you go to do discovery, they can just cookie-cutter object to every single request, every interrogatory, every admission, and say uh, trade secret, proprietary, confidential, blah, 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 because you haven't established that they can't do that. Okay. And they're eating up your discovery time when they do that. That's their favorite game, That which is why they're not going to be in any hurry to cooperate with you. So what we do now, since we learned this early on by experience, and I especially had, you know, a lot of fights with it, with Midland. I had to compel four times to get what I needed. It was a nightmare. Um, So what we do now is when we have the 26F conference, then we bring it up in the 26F conference at that time, right at before you even begin discovery, and, you know, we will say, well, we're going to need a a stipulated joint protective order, and I will send you a draft, and I need you to review 
and get back to me on that because I want it filed before the end of next week. Yeah, one one thing that you want to look at, look on your court's website and see if they have a draft protective order that they like to use. Some of the jurisdictions do. Okay. Yeah. Including yeah. the one I'm in. Yeah, some courts have it and, and others don't. But when they do, um, then it's there for you to download and plug in your information, you know, your parties. That the names, too. yeah. And that is one that the judge likes to see used, and he will always approve it quickly, you know, because you're using what the court likes and the court feels is fair. So they don't get an opportunity to pull their little tricksy stuff. Okay. Now, another thing, Dave, I, I have a question. Um, once they consolidated these two cases, these are two separate cases, are they not? No, they're going to be one case now. That's what I don't understand, because if there are two separate violations, they did it twice for continuous violations, because I well, put in a wherefore for both of them for my money. Yeah, <laughs> well, when they combine them, you're only going to get paid for one violation. You're only going to get paid for one time around, $1,000 per defendant. That's all. Okay, I have six defendants, and, I have a, and I'm, I'm going for additional damages. Well, it, here again, here again, you know, you'll have your actual damages that you know you'll you'll be looking at down the road. But as far as statutory damages, you'll only be able to get a thousand dollars from each defendant. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Once they're combined, see, th because the violations were all related to the same things, they they are going to combine those. And they're not going to let you to not do that is what they refer to as stacking. Okay, because I have another lawsuit that I need to file against them. If it's for different claims, that's fine. If you if you were to make uh, additional claims of the same stuff against the same people, you'd just be wasting your filing fee because it'd get combined as well. Right. If it was Ow. just further allegations Ow. and violation of the same issue. Of the FDCPA. Oh, yep. No. Yep. Wow. Okay. I'm glad you. I talked with you. Okay. Oh wow. Okay. I wish I could come up with another cause of action. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what else you might uh, come up with on them. Because this this is the only one that seems to work against them. Period. Well, it does seem that you're really giving them an ongoing headache, yeah. and that's a good thing. Well, that's why we keep telling people, you know, when you've got a foreclosure, the, which you, as soon as something happens there, you file your FDCPA lawsuit against them. Well, and it's just like all, all that stuff that you went through, your judge had his head up his butt and said they're not debt collectors. Well, the appellate court straightened him out and said, oh, yes, they are, and, you know, they violated. So, you know, hey, here we go. We're going to dance. Yeah, but what I went through in 2013, I had no clue in what I was getting myself into or what I was doing. But yeah. I'm, I'm there. But you did something rather than nothing. You're right. Which is what most people would do. You're right, because I know a couple of people that they say, I wish we had filed the FDCPA like you did, Renee, but they didn't. Yeah. You know, most people would either walk away or they'd go and. Uh, 
go down there and say, well, well, we're really sorry. Well, here's the keys to the house. We moved everything out today. No. Wrong. I I really miss Jeff because I have been in every court in Maryland except for one. Oh, man. And I think he would have been cheering me along the way. Oh, he would be proud as punch of you. Absolutely. There's no question about that. Hmm. He'd have been cheerleading you like nobody's business. Okay, well, I'm going to let someone else get this um, to speak. But thank you so much. I was really concerned about all right. Well, don't worry about that. You next next uh, thing that you got going is for the judge to start scheduling things, get ready for a 26F conference, and then uh, get that protective order stuff taken care of, and then go after them in discovery. And Terry, I'm going to send you that email. Yep. Do Thank that. you. Okay. Okay. And uh, uh, who knows truth? I'm going to call on you here. You are next in line, and you put on the board. You can share. You've got a membership you can share? Is that yes, true? Yes, I do. That is okay, true. well, send send an email to Terry so she can match you guys up. Right, then I'll just uh, connect you guys, and you can communicate and work it out on just the switchboard. Okay, okay. one. Thank you. All right, I can do that. I'll do that after the. I'll do that after with my question. That was pretty easy. Yeah. <laughs> Doesn't always work that quick, but hey, you know, you just never know. That's that's what these calls are about. So what what have you got for us tonight? Well, are we is this the proper night to talk about the um consumer file lawsuit? Oh we can we can Anytime. talk about that. Yeah. Anytime okay. we have time to talk about it. Yep. All right. Well I I uh filled out my um complaint and the only wrinkle that I have in mind is that one of the um one of the uh, i think it was equifax they did not send me I'm at, they didn't send me anything at first let me get back to my right here number 20 okay uh number 20 item number 20 on the complaint i had to put in my own language there because um basically i got a letter after my second request for the consumer file I got a letter saying that I was not eligible for a free copy of my credit file. So I just changed the language on that. I didn't know if um, that I should check with you first on that. Or Actually, just... all it needs to say is you received a letter, not what was in it. Yeah, okay. I received a letter which was not responsive to, to my request. Exactly. Oh. That's it. Okay. You don't have to explain everything. Now, see... You know, I have a similar situation where it's interesting, but Equifax um, both times responded first with an inappropriate letter that made no sense at all, and then a couple days later with a, an empty credit report. And when I say empty, I mean empty, nothing but my name and address on it, supposedly a credit report. And then with the second letter, they sent that same empty credit report. Well, the other two, Experian and TransUnion, they never responded at all, except with a letter saying, we don't believe you are who you are, send us more ID, the same exact letter twice, and they never even sent me or tried to send me a credit report. Much less a consumer report. Right. 
much less a consumer a, a, file disclosure. A, a, a file disclosure, right. Yeah. And each time they said it was in response to a dispute. There's no dispute. It was a request. That's not a dispute. So, you know, I luck out because for all three of them, I have inappropriate letters to attach as Exhibit 3 where you wouldn't put your credit report in there. Now, I can attach that empty report, redact out the Social Security. Because there's no personal information uh, or anything that uh, would be uh, inappropriate to have in the public record. And when when that evidence is on the record and the court looks at that and these outlandishly stupid letters, it's like, well, okay, you don't know why she's suing you? Uh, but you can still leave the language as it is because, as Dave pointed out, you, they responded not with what you requested but with a letter, and then you are going to attach a copy of that letter in Exhibit 3. You don't okay, need to so change anything. That was my next thing. There, There is no Exhibit 3 in, in the... In the yeah. um, but I, I will have an Exhibit 3 because I have that letter. Well, yes, you you yeah. put it in as Exhibit Three. Okay, because there was no Exhibit Three originally. I mean, yes, the, yes, there is in the complaint. Yes, it is. Really? And that, okay. that's for the, that's for those letters that you got back or anything oh. other than a credit report. Okay. Right oh. now, now, hang on, hang on, Terry, just stop for a minute. I want to clarify something right now. As long as we're right in on this discussion, if let's say you got you didn't get letters. Let's say each one of the CRAs sent you a credit report each time. And it wasn't like mine, empty. Okay. Right. You're not going to have an Exhibit 3 with your complaint. Right, because you don't have any. But if yeah. you got a, a letter, then you're going to have an Exhibit 3. Because let's say they sent you credit reports. You're not going to put your credit reports in as exhibits. You just Correct. state that they sent you a credit report. But if you got something other than a credit report, that creates Exhibit 3. Okay. Yeah, that mine is only an exception to that because they're calling it a credit report, but there's nothing in it. It's empty. Right. Yeah. So okay. does that clarify it for you? Yes, it does. Okay. okay. It does. Um, what else here? Uh I guess that's it. I noticed that the date was the 29th. Uh, uh, that's just so there's a date there. You, whatever date you're going to take and file it with the court, you put that date in there. Right. And uh, I'm just trying to just determine when the best time to do that is. Not sure if I want to wait till the first of the year or the or start. I that would up. suggest we wait till af- after the first of the year. I'm going to be filing mine right away after the first of the year. Okay. Um, and my next question is from. Uh, Another person, the person before me, her question, uh, you talked about statutory damages and actual damages. Uh, are, those, uh, indi- are those together or a separate type of damages you can combine when you have a... They're, they're a separate... Uh, actual damages are actual damages. Now stop and think. Statutory damages are regulated by the statute. Under the FDCPA, you can get $1,000. Okay. okay, your actual damages might be 
Well, maybe in the course of uh, doing all this stuff, uh, the actions that the other parties took cost you $8,000 in property that you lost. That's actual damages, actual monetary damages. That's the difference. It's not something that's set by statute. It's actual damage that you incurred that you can prove that you've got some kind of evidence of, even if it's your own testimony. And statutory damages are what's outlined right in the law books, in in the legislation. That's the difference. And you can combine those. Add them together. No, you can put, you can ask for each one of them in your complaint. I don't know exactly right. what you mean by combined, I mean. but yes, you can't yes. go one or the other. It's right. No, no, you you can you can do both. Absolutely. But with this particular complaint, we're not doing that for a good reason. Well, no, she's she was referring to the previous caller on the foreclosure. Oh, okay. Right. She was referencing that. And okay. Uh, let me look at the board here. Many, this is okay. Oh, there's one other. Uh, the last thing is you've mentioned before not to be not to be Santandered, and I never understood completely what you mean by Santandered. And I I have dealt with Santander before, so I was wondering what you meant by being Santandered. Writing a stupid complaint. <laughs> and by that we mean when you're Santandered, that means you are dumb enough in the complaint to sue Santander and say in the complaint that they are uh, a financial institution. In other words, uh, hello court, they're an original creditor and you're suing them for FDCPA. That's what happened with Santander. Yeah, it was a stupid lawyer moment, a colossally stupid lawyer moment. Okay, well... That was years ago. I dealt with Santander, and they said they were a debt collector in their letter. And they, <laughs> well, <laughs> you know, they are, and they know they are. But when the opposing attorney comes out and says, "Oh no, Your Honor, they're a bank," well, yeah, they're going to say, "Yeah, yeah, that's what we are." Yeah, and they won their case simply because the lawyer wrote the wrong stuff in the complaint, and, then, and they took it all the way to the Supreme Court. Even though they took it to the Fourth Circuit, and the Fourth Circuit judge kept telling them, look, on the one hand you're saying they're a bank, and then you're saying they're a debt collector, and they can't be both, make up your mind. Oh, yeah, yeah, they could be both. They're both. No, they can't be. Are they one or the other? No, they're both. So they had to rule against him because he was an idiot. And then the lawyer is so stupid that even though he gets a very clear education by the Fourth Circuit. He decides to take it to the Supreme Court and make really bad case law. Oh, okay. Dumb and dumber. Yeah, and unfortunately, now that's an easy, easy case, you know, uh, when they try to use it against you to overcome. But... It, it set a very bad precedent for all the consumers out there because lawyers just jump right on that as if that's the be-all, end-all of, oh, you can't come after Santander. They, they've been declared a creditor. No, they haven't. The lawyer 
you know, that one case. The lawyer said they were a creditor, and the court agreed. It said, well, that's what you put in your your uh, complaint, and we can only deal with what you put in your complaint. We can't assume you meant something else. Exactly. So that ruling by the Supreme Court and the Fourth Circuit is not a ruling that establishes that Santander's never a debt collector. No, it's a ruling that establishes they're going to be considered whatever you identify them as in your complaint, and you're stuck with it. Yeah, it was just a real stupid situation with a lot of people involved. But what it did was it threw a lot of muddy water, you know, in for consumers like us and headaches because the attorneys on the other side are going to try to fold, spindle, and mutilate and and make it into something. It's not the same as the uh, Madden case at the Supreme Court over whether debt buyers uh, have this, are in the same shoes as banks. Okay, well, that answers all my questions for this evening. Thank you. Okay, thank you. All right. We're going to go to Oregon. You are unmuted. Go ahead. Yes, hi, this is Kim. Hi, Kim. Hello. So I got my letter out. I notice I'm intent to sue. Barely. Oh, okay, good. <laughs> In the nick of time, yeah. Um, and so now I'm just wondering about, you know, trying to plan ahead for them uh, contacting me and wondering how they want to settle this. So I'm just wondering if you guys can give me some suggestions on how to deal with that or maybe what webinars I might want to watch. Um, you know, like well, you, sh- you should know if what where you stand on what you want. Right. Um, so, I, you know, I did come up with some statutes, some state statutes as well as FDCPA violations that I put in the letter. Um, just well, but, the, but if... What I'm talking about, though, you're talking about if they contact you and want to uh, try and settle something, that's not going to be a time to discuss statutes. That's mm-hmm. going to be a time to discuss dollars and cents. Okay, so I guess my question is, you know, how am I how am I basing what I want? Like, do I just throw out numbers and don't discuss any reasons why? Or, <laughs> um, well, no. If you're alleging certain violations. Mm-hmm then you should know what penalties are attached to those violations. Right. And yeah. any and what kind of damages you have incurred, actual damages, if any, as a result of their actions. In other words, what you would sue them for. Okay. Um yeah, and I I have been, you know, trying to you know, I I did find that information in the statutes and I have gen a general idea, I'm just a little behind on getting the specifics nailed down. So I guess I'm just wondering about, like... Well, just get get yourself your legal pad out and just write down, okay, what what are the claims that you would make in your lawsuit? Mm-hmm. Um, the FDCPA gives you $1,000 per defendant. Okay, how many defendants would you have? Mm-hmm. All right, then um, what kind of actual damages... Uh, would you go after, and what uh, you know? What documentation have you got to show any actual damages that you that you're going to make an argument for? 
you know, you but you have to put that stuff down and say, well, okay, I can, uh, uh, I've come up and, and, you know, don't try and just pull some thing out of the air if you're talking about actual damages because that's generally not going to fly. Um, you've got to have something to back up a claim for actual damages. And uh, you, you just put these figures down. Put, okay. put them in a list on a piece of paper. And then draw a line and add them up and say, well, okay, now, Mr. Jones, uh, you, you want to talk about settlement? Okay, well, you know, what I have here is statutory damages in the amount of so many thousand dollars, let's say $6,000. And I have actual damages in the, uh, in the amount of $13,000. Well, all right, so that's $19,000. Uh, what kind of an offer of settlement would you care to make to resolve the issues? Mm-hmm. Okay. And then just wait. Mm-hmm. That, I mean, that's the way I'm going to do it. I'm not going to throw a figure out. I'll tell them all here, this is what I'm going to sue you for. All right. Mm-hmm. Now, we can dance or we can settle things and, you know, move on down the road. Uh, but... I. You tell me, I'm telling you what I'm going to sue you for, and you make me an offer if you're interested in sell, settling the matter. Make me an offer and that you know I can consider. And uh, please do me a favor. Don't insult me. I don't like to be insulted. I've actually told numerous attorneys that. <laughs> yep. yep, me I've too. I've been insulted enough with <laughs> all their fraudulent actions. So. Yeah, but, yeah. you know, it's... You have to just, just like I say, take a piece of paper and write it down. Okay, you know, statutory damages is a thousand dollars. I don't know what you have as far as any state stuff that uh, uh, you would bring any actions under, but put them down. You got so many defendants at so much per defendant that adds up to this uh, for state. You get you add so many defendants at this much for federal, and this much in uh, actual damages. And uh, your costs involved. So, uh, you know, here's the figure. The, fi- the total figure would be $22,500 approximately. Mm-hmm. Now, um, you know, if you're interested in settlement, what kind of a settlement offer are you willing to make? Mm-hmm. Okay. And then just wait. Mm-hmm. Okay. But that's that's the way I do things. Yeah, Okay. And I've done it a bunch. Yeah, that's good to know. We've got the experience to learn from. Um, that get, that helps a lot. That gives me a framework of how to approach it um, with them when they ask. You know, when they do. And right. I think and, and when they I do wouldn't. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't get into a big discussion of the issues. You know, if they want yeah. to discuss the issues, just say, "Look, I'm I'm not here to to uh, you know hold many court. Uh huh. Um, you know, if, if you if you'd like to resolve this matter without a lawsuit, well, then let's discuss this. Uh, you know, have your client uh, make an offer, and uh, I I will look at it and uh, you know either accept it or possibly make a counter offer. But um, you know we've got to have a starting place, and I've told you what I'm going to sue you for. So uh, you tell me what you're willing to come up with, or what your client's willing to come up with to. Uh, 
uh, avoid the lawsuit and uh, get this matter resolved going forward. So, you know, and then and then you, you, you sometimes people have the tendency to want to sit there and keep talking and you know, well, I'm I'm saying this because of this and this and you know they want to go through and justify all that. No, mm-hmm. don't do that. Because they're going to want to engage you in that kind of stuff and just say, look, you know, I'm, I'm, we're not going to hold many court here. That'll all be done in court yeah. if we end up there. You know, I've, I'll, have, I'll have discovery and I'll have everything else that, uh, that I can uh, uh, take care of to get the information I need from uh, your client. But I'm not, I'm not going to discuss it here. If you want to discuss settlement, that's fine, but I'm not going to discuss the issues here. This is settlement discussions. It's not a mini-trial. I'm not interested in litigating this case over the phone. Okay. That's right. Yeah, yeah that's what I was afraid of. <laughs> yeah, and, and likely, you know, well, you don't have a case. You just don't have anything. You know, you, you think you've got something, but you don't. You don't know what you're doing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah? yeah. <laughs> I'm perfectly willing to... You know, go to trial and find out. Right. So, yeah, like you know, if I mean, I'm I've got things that I'm pretty sure are violations, but what if I, you know, the judge doesn't think so? I mean, at the end of the day, that's why you go to court, that, right? What's that? At the end of the day, that's that's a decision for a jury to make, not the judge. Yeah, or a jury, right? Exactly. So yeah, that's good to know. Um, and also, so I, I guess as far as actual damages go, what kinds of things, you know, can be uh, considered actual damages if I'm still in my house, you know? Um, one thing that has caused me damage was the fact that um, there was a sale date set last year in January that I had filed for bankruptcy to stop. It got postponed, and then when the postponement date was coming up, I was trying to discuss with them and get them to cancel the sale again and I called Bank of I'd sent them a debt validation letter I think and I called Bank of America to see if they got it and the person I talked to said there was no sale date in their records and it told me to call the attorney and tell them to cancel the sale uh, and so um, I you know <laughs> I'm thinking if there was no sale date in their records so there maybe there wasn't one set in January at least according to to the bank's records, but the attorneys had a date set that caused me to file for bankruptcy, which I didn't have to do. So I have no credit. I'm, you know, now I'm dealing with, you know, having defaulted on my credit cards and all of that kind of stuff. So I'm wondering if that's, you know, one kind of damage I could include, um, you know, without having the, any kind of actual proof. I think, now, this is because I've heard Craig say it before, Dave, but I could be wrong. I don't think you will get away with claiming as actual damages and the emotional distress caused to you by the litigation, being in litigation with them. Any emotional distress up to having to sue them, mm-hmm. yes, that's actionable. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's been a lot of emotional distress, that's for sure. Because litigation 
is by its very nature distressing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, and you're supposed to know that going in. Yeah, in addition to that, you know, I am disabled under the Social Security Disability Act, and there is a state statute uh, that I did include in my letter, financial abuse subject to action, uh, when a vulnerable person, you know, is wrongfully blah, 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 you know. Yeah. Um, so there was definitely some things that I would have qualified for. Um, so I, and the damages were like three times, I forget exactly what it is, but. Yeah, that's like the Georgia statute. Mm-hmm. So, but I'm just not clear on exactly what those damages. You know, how can I document those kinds of damages? I guess. Uh, how do how do I, co- I guess, put a monetary figure on emotional damage? Um, it has affected my ability to, you know, take care of myself. Well, I've had to postpone doctor okay. appointments and uh, I can't I, work as much. <laughs> in my experience, and same is true with my whole battle with Midland. I didn't put a monetary value on it mm-hmm. until the very the very end when you're in pretrial conference and stuff and you're doing all that pretrial right up to the end when you're actually going to go to a trial. Because it is up to the jury and the court to right. decide the amount of damages to award. You simply state what those damages are, whether they are monetary because it costs you this, 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 and this, mm-hmm. you know, um, or they are emotional distress because of this, 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 and this. You're putting down what they are, not what you consider they're worth because it's not up to you to set that amount. Yeah, I do, I do recall reading that somewhere. Thanks for reminding me about that. <laughs> right, Dave? Yes. You don't have to specify your actual damages in the lawsuit up front. And okay. I don't think you should, other no, than statutory. No. Okay. But because I, it can actually change depending on what happens uh, through the course of the lawsuit. Mm-hmm. Right. right. Through discovery, you might discover you've been harmed monetarily far worse than you even knew. Yeah. Actually, I do know how <laughs> much worse because um, of other things I've been learning about that I haven't really brought up with you guys too much on this call because it's not really about the Consumer Protection Act, but it's definitely a, an issue that, um, <laughs> you know, it, it's knowledge that I have now that where I know for sure I have a better understanding now now of why things are not accurate in their records because of um, there's this guy in Portland that's been researching MERS and finding out that it's a trademark and there's a whole can of worms attached to that um, that he's been uncovering through the United States Patent and Trademark Office <laughs> and there's you know he's got all the patents that prove what's really going on you know so it's but it's you know I can send you guys some links and that you can listen to what he says and then you'll you'll know you'll have a better idea of what I'm talking about because I don't know it well enough to really explain it <laughs> and I don't really think it's appropriate on this call um, because it is a different uh, it's like a different uh, paradigm I guess you'd say um, that remember that whatever whatever damages you are alleging mm-hmm. you ultimately have to realize that. Chances are probably slim, but it is possible 
that you do end up in front of a jury, and you are pro se. So you must understand fully what those damages are, what makes them damages, how to convey to a jury, to 12 ordinary people like yourself, Mm -hmm. or nine usually, um, what they are and why you should be paid exponentially for them. Mm -hmm. So keep in mind that any allegations that you are setting forth in your case, the onus is ultimately on you to first make the court see your case through your eyes so that it reaches a jury, and then you must be able to make that jury see that case through your eyes and not theirs. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. It just—it's more just a matter of me uh, learning and understanding. Exactly, because if better. you don't know, then you're looking through your eyes with clouded glasses. How are right. you going to make a jury see through those clouded glasses clearly? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So it's something I'm not sure if I should even bring it up, you know, and just focus on the basic FDCPA, <laughs> you know. Well, you know uh, what I just explained is the hardest part of litigation, I, I, in my view, mm-hmm. okay? That is the absolute hardest part. First, to make sure your eyes are looking through crystal clear glasses mm-hmm. and then understanding how and accomplishing making a court. I didn't even make it to a jury, but making a court, a judge, see things, through your eyes, and in my case, it was a panel of three judges at the 11th Circuit, and that is the hardest part, because even if you have an attorney, it wasn't until we were right up to oral argument, just a matter of a day or two before the oral argument, that Craig finally said to me in one of our conversations, oh my God, Terry, I get it now. Mm-hmm. That's how far we went, and wow. and you know he and I worked closely together for months, and of course now to be fair he was just learning the FCRA from me, so he didn't have my background and understanding in the statute, but that to me is the hardest part. So if it took me that long to have an attorney who's on my side see it through my eyes. Imagine how much harder it would be if I didn't, have, if I hadn't had him, for me to make those judges see it through my eyes. Yeah, the I I want to make a very simple comment here. What you're talking about these other issues with MERS and stuff, mm-hmm. you don't even want to bring it up. Okay. I mean, they are misrepresentations. That's well, you know, well but, right. But, but you're going to muddy more, the waters. You're going to cause more and confusion. It, right, and it and it's it goes to the heart of the corruption <laughs> and the fraud. You know that's it, really going on. So, but I, you're you're I'm not sure going you're you're not going after fraud. What right. you have to present is something crystal clear under the FDCPA. And if you start bringing that stuff in, mm-hmm. the court is not going to listen to it. Yeah, shut you down, and you don't ever want to use that word fraud. Never, 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 never use that. Well, I didn't want to use the word fraud, but just misrepresentation of of the of the 
nature of the transaction is basically what it is, is what I've learned. Yeah, and I'd but, love to send you guys these links so you yeah, can Yeah, but that's it got know, nothing to do with the, the FDCPA. Okay. okay. So oh, it doesn't? It's stay, no. Stay, no, stay focused on the FDCPA, the language within it. Right. Because right. remember this. I don't care if you're if you're bringing a suit under FDCPA, FCRA, CCPA, whatever it is, okay? Congress, when they wrote those statutes, they meant what they said, and they said what they meant. And the court always entertains that argument. You stick to what is written what conquerors meant when they wrote it, you don't go outside of it and you don't ask the court to. Yeah, because if you do, you'll get nowhere. In fact, all you do is you make yourself look foolish in front of the court because the court's just going to say, no, <clears throat> that's not within the parameters of the FDCPA. I don't want to hear any more about it. And apparently you don't even know what you're suing for. Oh, their motion to dismiss is granted. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you got to be real, real, real careful with this stuff. You know, the, whoever this is that's digging this stuff up and everything, this is not the place to bring that up. The, the place to have brought that up is if you had it in the, when the foreclosure action was going. Yeah, well, it's something that I wouldn't have known about. I well, yeah, I'm, I'm, I know that. Out, I, I understand that. But, but yeah, I'm, I'm saying <laughs> that would be, that's the place if you had known yeah. about it and been able to, to yeah. bring it up to, to do something. At this point in an FDCPA claim, no. Okay. <clears throat> and and my, my friend does also agree that the court is not going to listen to it, you know. <laughs> so, right. So I... I I'm weighing it with his you because know, opinion though, as well. You know it's fraud. We know it's fraud. We yeah. all know it's we all fraud. Know. Right. And we right. can all prove that it is. Mm-hmm. But in order to prove it in a court of law, you've got to prove intent. Now, good luck on that one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, yeah. When you're you talking to a patents. judge, yeah, <laughs> yeah. well, when, but, when you're talking to a judge whose retirement is invested in large part in mortgage-backed securities, they're not going to rule in your favor. Yeah, I know, and that, that, that is the reason why this is... Oh, well, we yeah, all know that. They're all in the payment stream, right. That's, <laughs> so, there you go. Yeah. You got it. Yeah. It is what it is. I mean, you know, we don't like it. It's wrong, mm-hmm. but it's bigger than way. us. Mm-hmm. It yeah. is. It's bigger than us. Yeah. It's public policy. Yeah, and right. that's what, you know, when we say pick your battles, Be- yeah. before you go into a battle, make sure that that one is going to make enough difference to you in your life mm-hmm. that it is worth the battle to begin with. Yeah, to, to make it worth it, the trouble that you're going to deal with and getting where you want to right. go. Right, and then stick to it. That's why I don't get involved in, well, first of all, I haven't had a traffic ticket in 40 years, but, you know, I don't get involved in all, in all these yeah, I do have a right to drive my car, and I shouldn't. Uh, I'm not required to have a driver's license according to the law. But am I going to go fight that? Because what real difference is that going to make in my life? What's it going to save me? Right. Ten bucks, fifteen bucks every ten years to replace my driver's license? Is that really worth it to me? No. But the violations of my rights within my credit report and putting a few thousand dollars in my pocket for violating me. That 
is worth my fight. And making case law for a nation, for other people, so they don't have to suffer what I did, that is worth it to me. See what I'm saying? Pick your battles and then stay within the parameter of that battle you chose. Don't go running off to other rubber bands. Mm-hmm. And maybe uh, as I do understand this other stuff better, I can deal with the bank in a private matter, not necessarily, you know, in an amicable way. <laughs> amicable way. From a different know? angle. From a diff- yeah. Yeah, we're not like, saying, like I know, you, you know, know give up on the stuff. whole thing and never mm-hmm. fight that battle with them. It's just that this is not the place to do it. Yeah, yeah. And uh, that was my gut feeling, and I was, you know, as much as I'd like to bring it up, and I did mention it in, in the letters I sent to them, but um, I didn't you know, I've seen, push I the know, issue any further. I know Dave has, too, over the over this last year. We've seen some really good cases um, based on all, all the fraud and th- that lost because they had a good case, but they decided they had to throw in every rubber band they could get their fingers on right. and throw it all in a blender and give the other side and the court the perfect excuse to say, oh, this is just BS administrative process or whatever, and we're not going to hear this nonsense. And at the base of the cases, they really had a good case that they Hmm. threw away by doing all of that. Right, Dave? Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. 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 We've seen some good ones, and and it's too bad. because they just got so railroaded and tied up in uh, all these different ideas out there and this, that, and the other thing and throw the whole kitchen sink into one case and it ends up obscuring the whole purpose of the case to begin with and where the real solid allegations were. Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. It does. Uh, (laughs) Well, yeah. I mean, if you get... Uh, a cut on your foot, okay, just a little cut. Now, if you go clean it with some peroxide and put a good Band-Aid on it, chances are it's going to heal up pretty good in a couple of days, right? Right. (laughs) Now, it's going to heal up also if you go first, cut it open a little further, fill it full of peroxide, put Neosporin on it, and then wrap your whole foot up in a major gauze thing and put an ace bandage on it. Uh, Yeah, the cut is still going to probably heal up in a couple of days, but why did you go to all of that? And anybody looking at it is going to think you crushed your foot, not that you got a little Mm -hmm. cut on it. Yeah. See, overkill does not help you one little bit. (laughs) Yep. Okay. Well, that's great advice. I appreciate your perspective on that. Uh, that does help clarify how I should handle it. Well, does that answer your questions? Mm. Yeah, it does. Um, but, Terry, can I send you a couple links? Because I would like you guys to listen to what he says just to see, you know, just so you... Well, I, I can forward you it here. on to Jesse, you know. Yeah, uh, yeah definitely Jesse to uh, yeah. for sure. I have a very, very limited bandwidth, so I have to be very, very, very send, send about what I listen yeah. to. Yeah. Yeah. Who should I well, send it to then? Yeah, well, just send, send it to, to Terry. Send, send the links to Terry. She can forward the email to me. Okay. 
Yeah. So I, I will then, do it. Yeah, and send it to Jesse too, because he, if you know, you guys may already know this. I don't know, but definitely Ken's been doing his homework. So, yeah, I think it would be good. It does get into some of the administrative stuff, but he also has a different perspective on that. Well, but um, the administrative stuff will not be heard before the courts. Right. And End of yeah, story. and that's that's yeah, and that's what he says too. And yeah. you know, but but just his explanation. Yeah. Through what he's learned from what, from the patents about yeah. what the, what they're really doing and how what's really what the real well we know what is. they're doing they're screwing people yeah oh yeah big time <laughs> well that's really all we need to know I mean yeah. and and they're getting away with it because they got the uh, uh, public policy on their side and and the judges it's really yeah. quite that that's simple I mean that's a very simplified explanation but that's the way it is no you're absolutely right that's so. exactly it. <laughs> All right, well, send okay. it to Terry, and she can forward it to me, okay? Okay, okay, I'll do All that. All righty. Okay, thanks. Thank guys. you. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you, guys. Merry Christmas. <laughs> Merry Christmas to you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> All right, let's go to northern Louisiana. You are unmuted for your question. Go ahead. Hey, how's it going, Dave? Pretty good. How are you? Coming along pretty good, thank you. Merry Christmas to everybody. Well, Merry Christmas to you. Thank you. Hey, listen, I, I had a question um, in, in reference to the full file disclosure. Uh-huh. Yeah. Now, have anyone gotten a copy of that to, to your knowledge as of yet? No. <laughs> they're never going to send it to you. No, they're <laughs> not going to send it to you. Ever. Okay. Now, let me ask you a, a question in, in reference to, uh, have you ever gotten a copy of the LexisNexis report? Yes. Right. Now, they call that a full file disclosure. Is that not correct? Well, actually, LexisNexis Nexus will give you everything they've got. They got they've got no reason not to. Right. right. Uh, the reason the reason I was asking is that uh, my wife and I we was looking at our LexisNexis report, and um, I mean it is a full full file disclosure, and uh, there there are places in there where they were saying that the information that they got they got from uh, Equifax or uh, Experian. <laughs> And if that's not in the credit report that you got, that recent one that you got from Experian or the same time frame as when they got it, uh-oh, what does that tell you? Absolutely. That's, that, that is that is my, my point. That's my point exactly. Mm-hmm. And and the fact that we are claiming in the uh, lawsuit that they're not sending us a copy of the full file disclosure, okay, and the fact that the stuff that we got from LexisNexis, if anybody get the LexisNexis report and look at it, they'll see that there's stuff that those particular uh, reporting agencies have that they are not sending to them that LexisNexis claim that they got from them. Right, but that would all have to be sorted out in discovery. You know, you, you, you're not planning on altering the complaint in any way, putting any of that stuff in there. Not at all. No, Not okay, good, good. Yeah. This is this this is just point of information. That's all. Right. No, that that's fine, and and that's a very good point. Yeah, I do have my LexisNexis disclosure. It's sitting right behind me on the table on an envelope. Right. And it was very extensive, very very. I can't remember how many pages, but it was a bunch. Absolutely. I mean, I know I got we we got a whole stack of stuff, and none of that stuff is in our credit report. You know. Well, of course. So we definitely, so, we def- so it, it, that is that in and of itself 
is proof that they are not sending the full file. Well, it's it's prima facie evidence. It's not okay. it's not absolute proof until somebody uh, swears under oath that uh, works for LexisNexis that yes, we acquired that information from them. Right. Oh. It is prima facie evidence, and you know it's not something that you are going to reveal you have up front. No. No. Right. But you're never you're never going to get to the point where you're doing discovery on this stuff anyway. They're gonna they're gonna write each one of us a check for a thousand dollars and and make us go away. Because they are gonna know. Because I tell you what, no matter what state you live in, or what county, or which federal district court you're filing your complaint in, no matter what <laughs> law office that goes to, ultimately. Um, it goes to their the CRA's in-house lawyers first, and they're right. no dummies. The, the the lawyers that the CRA's um, have on staff, they are not your run-of-the-mill um, dumb lawyers. And when they see that complaint, and the way it's and, written, and the way it's written, and the exhibits attached to it, and what is there. They are going to know instantly what we are up to and that they cannot take that risk. Because one thing I was trying to explain to another one of our members just a couple days ago, she didn't quite get it. Well, why? Why will they want to get rid of it so fast? And here is the short answer. You can't even estimate. You can't even imagine the amount in billions of dollars and cents of revenue that they would be risking by allowing this to become a public issue. Absolutely. And I you know, I want to thank you guys and and just uh comment that the complaint is very well very well put together and I like how simple it is. <laughs> That well, <laughs> that's a re- reflection of something that I, I've i talked about for years, and I practice myself, have for many years, the KISS principle. Keep it sweet and simple. Right. But in this case, the whole idea was to make it simple, but yet make it so obvious to them when they got it exactly what was going on. They couldn't misconstrue, misconstrue and say, oh, well, this is just something that somebody found on the Internet. No, mm-hmm. no, no. This is very well constructed. It's to the point. It lets them know right, you know, like Terry said, they're attorneys there. They're not dopes. They, they've got a lot of money. They do hire good attorneys and uh, in-house, and uh, sometimes they hire dopey attorneys out in the field to represent them and, and with the various people. But they're going to see what's happening here, because and what it is, they can't—they they can't let this get out into discovery, and they're not going to spend a bunch of money fighting people. They're, you know, dollars and cents is the name of their game. The bottom line is what they're interested in. They're going to pay you a thousand bucks and have you go away. Right, because you know what, this complaint, the way it's written. Every word in it, exactly the way it's written, what it constitutes is an axe in the forehead in one throw. Mm. And they'll yeah, know is, it. Yeah, this is, this is good. I, re- I really appreciate it. 
Well, it's we wanted something that was going to be effective for everybody, easy to use, plug in your personal information, and then file it. And serve it. And we may not even have to get to service I've, because I tell you what, when these things get filed, um, especially the big ones, the uh, the, CRA, the CRAs and the bigger collectors, um, even like Plaza and, and Midland and uh, a couple of the others that we've had it happen with, they get notified by ECF that day that there's been a suit filed in, you know, um, three corners, New Hampshire, against them today. And their lawyers will take a look at that, and they may contact you before it even gets served. I have had it happen. Mm. So, you know, the the bottom line is this isn't going to be something that they're going to start wanting to throw a bunch of money at uh, to do any fighting and even begin to allow it to get into discovery, they're going to want to squelch it. You watch. Well, I know I'm definitely on board. Thank you so much. You're very welcome. Get ready to have some fun in 2018. Oh, yeah. I'm looking to, looking forward to getting some pretty pretty rapid checks. <laughs> oh, uh, that was... Now... Uh, that was one other uh, question I had. Uh, now, you had mentioned, and uh, when when they do the settlement, that they're gonna want to start from the time you was born and say until eternity that you're not gonna be able to come after them, okay, on another situation. Now, because I know I have something separate that I'm gonna that I'm that I'm doing as opposed to this particular. Uh, <laughs> Strategy or lawsuit that we're dealing with here. Now, I I, I don't I don't intend to to to, uh, to sign any any agreement that's going to prevent me from dealing with that particular situation. Well, yeah, and that all comes down to the language that's in any settlement agreement. If if uh, they want to dispose of the action that's related to the full file disclosure, then the uh, uh, settlement agreement should state clearly that uh, this is settlement of all claims related to your claims made uh, regarding full file disclosure uh, from, and it includes a period of time from be- the beginning of time to the date of uh, uh, the signing of this agreement. No right. language in there can say anything about uh, the uh, for the future or in any, w- any way allude to uh, at at any time in, uh, from the beginning of time forward, you can't right. let it, you can't let it do there. It has to be from the beginning of time yeah, and, and don't to the date of signing of this agreement. And don't think they won't try to sneak it in there because they will. Right. Well, they might. They might. They might not. But the point is, you have to be astute in reading any settlement agreements. And like Terry and I said. We're going to be on these calls. We understand this. You guys should understand it pretty well with the amount of discussion that we've had. But if we get down the road to the point where people are negotiating settlements and you need to run this stuff by us for uh, discussion, we can discuss this in the open calls because it will be beneficial to everybody. And keep in mind, 
you haven't signed the settlement agreement yet, so you can talk about it and discuss it. It's only after you sign the agreement that it becomes confidential. Right. Proposed language is different from language of an agreement. So. Okay, super. Thanks a lot, Dave. I appreciate that. All righty. You're very welcome. Okay, you guys have a good evening. Uh, All right, I'll, you uh, do. I'll, I'll, I'll meet out now. Okay. All right, let's go to guest 16. You're muted and unmuted. Go ahead with your question. Um, can you guys hear me? Yep, we got you. Okay. Uh, yeah, um, I, I have a question in uh, regards to uh, a TCPA revocation of consent Um when I sent the letter out, um, I got a notification. I got a, resp- a correspondence saying that um, that uh, that the request that I uh, was seeking was only applicable to one of the accounts that I actually revoked consent uh, uh, to have any you know calls uh, made by auto dollars um, is. I guess my, my question is: um, Is revocation of consent uh, agreement specific? What did you say in your letter to them specifically? Exactly, what did you say? I just said I don't want any them to call me using auto dialer or using any pre-recorded messages. Uh, no, there has to be more. Did you state at such and such phone number? I I want to know exactly. Precisely the words that you said. Yeah. Letter. Okay. Let, let me let me let me pull that out. Because um. chances are, what they're trying to do is, uh, you know, box you in and say, oh well, you know, that only applies to this. No. If you wrote it, depending okay. on how you wrote it, it can be it's it's a blanket. But go ahead. Yeah. Okay. What what I put is uh, effective upon receipt of this letter. Uh, City Bank and its affiliates no longer have my consent to call my phone number at seven one three, uh, such 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 and such number. And I just put uh, that they also do not have uh, cons- and I'm also revoking consent to receive any automated calls. Uh, uh, I mean any uh, any calls by auto dialer or any pre-recorded messages, and I put my number there as well. Well. Okay. Now you you said one thing, but then you 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 said something else. Uh, read me exactly. Read me the words that you wrote on that letter, please. Yeah. Uh, okay. Let me let me start again. Uh, effective upon receipt of this letter, Citibank and its affiliates no longer have my consent to call my phone number. And I put my phone number. Then okay. I also put on. And I also put. Cause I, no, I, just read I, me exactly what you wrote. Just read okay. me what was in the letter, word for word. Okay, and I just said, please do not call me at that number anymore. Okay, that was the last part you said after the first part, right? Right. Okay. All right, so you were specific, and you said Citibank and their affiliates. You didn't say in regard to any specific no. account. No, I did not. You just said... Citibank and their affiliates, and you gave them the phone number. 
Right. That'll cover and anything. So you're saying that, um, because, like, the thing is, uh, I had uh, more than one account with them. It doesn't matter. Uh, it doesn't matter? You told um, Citibank they can't call you with those numbers or their okay. affiliates. Okay. Because, like, when I, when I, when I got a, uh, the correspondence back, they made it, they, I guess they made an implication that I, that, that I put a specific call number. Well, I mean, they, see, of course, if that's what they're going to do. Oh, well, that's, okay. that just applies to this over here. But that one over there, we can still call you. No, I told you I'm revoking my, cons- my consent for you to call these numbers. Okay. Period. Okay. It doesn't matter. It doesn't say anything about what specific circumstances or accounts it's related to. You revoked your consent for them to call you with an auto dialer or, or pre-recorded messages at these certain numbers. That's it. That covers it all. Okay. Um. Well, I guess the reason why I asked that question because I saw this one case. Um. I think it was uh, in uh, it was it was it was a case. Um, I think Michael versus a Credit Protection uh, Association, and this particular individual, he had like two different accounts, and um, and those two different accounts that he had with two different creditors was sent to the to uh, one uh, debt collection agency. And when he revoked consent uh, to the debt collection agency, they said that uh, he had to have uh, revoked consent with both uh, parties because, uh, because uh, revocation of consent for one creditor doesn't establish uh, – well, yeah, but that's that doesn't that's got nothing to do with your situation. Okay. You you very clearly stated Citibank and their affiliates cannot call you with an auto dialer or pre-recorded messages at these numbers. That's it. That's the end of it. Okay. It's revoked. It. Goodbye. Okay. 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 Cool. Well. Well. Okay. I, I feel a little bit more confident now. Now, um, I guess the the next question that I would like to uh. Uh, ask is uh, in regards to um, defending uh, an, an, I guess an account stated situation, I mean well defending uh, uh, a collection case if, if they were to sue me in state court on account stated is there any effective means whereby I can go and uh, challenge that issue? Because John's a good one to answer that because John's looked into that and he's He's familiar with that. Say it again. Or John, wake. I knew you'd be <laughs> multitasking. <laughs> he was probably eating name. Christmas cookies is what he was doing. <laughs> no. Go for it. What you got? Okay, so, like, like I've seen a lot of cases whereby, you know, Citibank, they've been winning on the account-stated theory, and I'm still trying to figure out how I can be able to challenge that uh, theory without losing. Can you I know that, um, the website? No, I'm not. I've just been doing uh, uh, independent uh, research because uh, yeah. I, I don't really have too much funds right now. I'm in school, so I, I just okay. 
I do know that they that the cards are securitized, but the problem that I'm having um, with understanding the whole securitization is that, like, I don't know, it's kind of contradictory because, like, in one instance, when I'm looking in the uh, the uh, prospectuses and the uh, pooling and serving servicing agreements, it says that the the, the receivables const, constitute uh, accounts within the uh, meaning of uh, they yeah they constitute accounts within Article Nine of the Uniform Commercial Code, and 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 at the same time it says that it's also the legal uh, valid binding payment obligation of the obligor. And okay, well let me back up a minute. So are you having a problem, or are you just interested in this stuff? No, I'm I, I'm I'm ha- I might have a problem because uh, I don't I, I want to be able to prep, prep myself up in case they come at me um, at any angle. I just want to be you know. Uh, in case the credit card company yeah. or something sues you, yeah, yeah, because like, like the, the problem is they're gonna a, they're gonna throw yeah. in multiple counts in the complaint. They're gonna okay. say that you had unjust enrichment. You took okay. money and you didn't pay it back, and so you were unjustly enriched. They're gonna say that account stated theory, which means there is no written agreement, but him using the card was his, you know, tacit approval of our, our our lending arrangement. And number three, they're going to go with um, breach of contract, which means you broke the terms and conditions of the written agreement that they had with you. And, you know, most people don't show up in court. And so like 97% of people don't. And that's how they, um, you know, win on that stuff. Then of those people that do show up, a lot of them go in there and say, well, you know, I'm, you know they come up with whatever, but they don't know how to make a legal argument. Um, some of the things that matter with that are, and you have to consult with your local rules and, you know, the, the law in your state, but typically a account stated theory without, without, the contract without a contract. In other words, I gave Dave a hundred dollars and um, on my credit card that I issue and he spent a hundred dollars and he didn't pay me back. And it's account stated because, you know, we just verbally discussed it and, and um, you know, I mailed him the card and he used it. Well, the, the thing about that is then I hired Joe Blow attorney to go sue Dave for the money and he puts in there that he wants attorney's fees and costs and all this other stuff. And Dave goes, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Where is the agreement that states that he can recover attorney's fees and costs? Okay. So they're not entitled to that. And then he's also going to say, but, you know, they're also, Your Honor, charging me interest and late fees and penalties, and where is the agreement that says they're entitled to that? So suddenly the judge sits back and goes, "Yeah, where is that agreement? You know, okay, you're, you know, if it was a breach of contract, there would be a written contract, okay, and that would delineate those things. But since you didn't make that count, and now we're looking at account stated, the most that you can recover is the amount that you lent if you can prove it. So do you have the actual slip that Dave went to the store and spent $100 at Walmart or wherever? 
Mm, no, you know, is the lender? No, I don't. And without that, you can't prove anything. I said, well, Your Honor, I have these account statements. And Dave says, well, those are hearsay. They're unauthenticated. And that's kind of the way it goes. And then the final argument about unjust enrichment, well, if if I can't prove up that I gave him a card and he used it and spent that money at Walmart and didn't pay me back, how can I show that he's unjustly enriched? It's really that plain and simple. So there's a certain finesse between the uh, the laws in your state for, you know, unjust enrichment, uh, account stated theory, and breach of contract theory. What the elements of that claim are, and then when you when you know what the elements of the claim, the elements that I would have to prove to get the money to get the court to award me the money from Dave, then um, I, I, Dave, knowing that, could knock those legs out of my argument, um, saying, "Well, Your Honor, he can't prove this, he can't prove that, he can't prove the other, so he can't prove all the legs of uh, account stated claim. Therefore, you know, the case should be dismissed with prejudice." That's the way the court looks at it. It's the stuff's pretty simple, but you know you got to wrap your mind around it because usually you know the attorney's going to try to talk to you at some point if you don't have an attorney, and they're going, well, you know, it was your account, and you're like, well, you know, and you just admitted that it was your account, and then you kind of screwed yourself, you know, because then if he does the same thing in court, you know, the judge is going to go, oh yeah, he just admitted there was an account. And so, you know, ruling for the plaintiff. Okay. So so what now, you're saying, based on what you're saying, are you insinuating that I, the, the defendant would, uh, I guess in the case where a creditor is trying to sue uh, uh, on the basis of account stated that, I, that the defendant deny uh, the account? Now, remember, oh, the know. burden of proof is on the plaintiff. Okay. Right. They, they, have if they, try and, they try and make it like the burden of proof is on you to, to disprove things. The reality is that the burden of proof is on the person that is suing. So if they're saying, well, you know, hey, we loaned you money and you didn't pay it back, well, you've got to challenge that from every direction. And most of the time, they're not going to be able to come up with the proof that they need to prove if you do your job properly. Right. Factual evidence. Right. And having someone come in and testify isn't necessarily factual evidence because they have to be competent to testify. They send in these people that are paid to just travel around the country and they raise their hand and, you know, and they, and they don't typically do that unless it's a, you know, pretty good sum of money. You know, they're not going to do it for 800 bucks typically, but send someone in to testify in a courtroom. But, um, you know, and the way to handle that is when you're doing the case, you're going to do discovery, you know, interrogatories, requests for admissions, requests for productions, and even maybe depose to a deposition of the party that put in the affidavit. Because I'll move for summary judgment before you'll go to a court um, final trial. Um, 
So this is all explained in great detail in the website, including how to answer a complaint, how to um, argue motions to dismiss. You can put in multiple motions to dismiss. You can put in a motion to dismiss before you have to answer the complaint. But most people don't know that. And then the judge can deny that and tell you to answer the complaint. Well, you can answer and then file another motion to dismiss, you know, and just keep keep hammering on them and then do a load of discovery. And it's going to start costing them money to fight you in court. There's all kinds of motions that you can suck them in there because they don't make money when they have to send a lawyer into court and argue motions. That takes up a lot of their time when they could be doing something else. They could be going for those 97% of people that um, don't even don't show, show up. up. Yeah. And you're considered a nuisance, okay? But I just want you to understand that it's you've got to know exactly what you're doing. But there's something that's more powerful. If you default on a credit card, and how much money are we talking about approximately? We're talking, we're talking about maybe about 40000 Forty four zero, yeah, forty forty thousand forty thousand with one with one account. No, 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 it's one like four, four, four different accounts. Okay, so what's the highest balance on one of those accounts? I think it's about fifteen. Fifteen. Okay, and are they with multiple banks or are they all with the same bank? They're all with the same entity. All with the same bank. Yeah, all with the same bank. Oh, so you have four four alleged credit cards with the same bank. Right. They can try to combine them together in one lawsuit, um, and then it looks like even bigger. And they will fight over that amount of money, but you can still win. And here, here's what happens. Um, it's not American Express, is it? No, it's with City. Okay. City? Okay. Yeah. Okay. City typically secures their credit cards, and when they go into default – they put it over in another one of their entities, which is like a default servicer. And that's not ownership. That's just who's sending you the um, the letters. So you'll notice it goes from like Citibank, NA, North Dakota, to um, what's the other one, Dave, that they use? Was that again? City. You know, when people default on Citibank, it goes from Citibank, NA, North Dakota, to City. There's oh. another entity. Yeah, so notice, they're in St. Louis. I, just, I can't remember the name. Right. You'll notice you get a statement that comes from a different entity that starts with city. And so then they've received it when you're in default, and you need to mail them a debt validation letter. And the debt validation letter asks for them to provide you with you know, uh, firsthand fact information that can prove up their alleged claim against you. And it's a really simple letter. It's on the website. You send them a debt validation letter, and they have to provide you with validation. Now, Citibank, I'd say they're probably just going to sell these accounts off. And I wouldn't be surprised if they don't end up with someone like Midland Funding or um, you know, one of these other junk debt buyers. And anytime you get a letter from someone like that, you immediately – mail them a debt validation letter. They have to provide you with validation before they de- make any further efforts to collect. It's not to say that they won't make further efforts, but if they do, they've violated the Fair Debt Collection Practices Act, 
and you can sue them in federal court for $1,000. Okay. And as soon as you, as soon as you pull them into federal court, they uh you know, they put they tap the brakes on everything. You know, they aren't going to hand it out to an attorney to file a lawsuit because typically when the account goes from Lake City to Midland, you first receive a letter and say it says great news. You know, we've acquired your account, and this isn't an attempt to collect a debt, but it's just a notice to let you know that it's been transferred over to us. Then 30 days later, they're going to send you the first, like, account statement, which is an attempt to collect a debt. Now, in the first letter, they're supposed to send you your validation rights that tell you that you can, you know, request validation under the Fair Debt Collection Practices Act. Most people don't read that. But once you mail that letter, it flags them to know that you're going to give them a hard time. Now, they may still send it out to an attorney, and with a larger balance, you know, if you if it was forty thousand one balance, they just file a lawsuit against you. If it's fifteen thousand dollars, they might send you a letter first, say, you know, we represent Midland Funding LLC, blah blah blah, you know, and you know we need payment within fifteen days, or we're going to file suit. You, you immediately mail that lawyer a debt collection letter, and suddenly that validation you can sue. letter. Yeah. Debt validation letter. Yeah, sorry. Suddenly you can sue him. Okay, and you start wrapping this stuff up, you can make some money, but also put some breaks because those collection attorneys don't make any money really when they're when you're fighting them in court properly when they're suing you. And as soon as you sue them in federal court, they've got to hire a law firm, and it's generally a $5,000 retainer just to defend a federal FDCPA claim. And you can do that yourself. So... You know, it's kind of taken the offensive tactic of the whole thing. And that's really what inside the, the website, you know, it teaches. Yeah. And I'm telling you, you should really become a member. And if you can't afford to become a member, just send Terry an email and she can match you up with someone and it cuts the cuts the cost in half. Yeah, um, cuts it down to $24 a month. I mean, you know. Yeah. And the um, stuff is is explained. It's got like seven years of information, and some of us have been litigating that long, doing this stuff, and and it's been a learning process. But you know, like Dave's never been to court, and has a hundred and how many lawsuits, Dave? I've well, you figure all the Midland lawsuits, and I've probably been uh, in close to a hundred and fifty lawsuits. Yeah, and I've been to court multiple times in federal court and argued things right to pre-trial and also won at the 11th Circuit Court of the Appeals. Terry's done that too. And so it's just, you know, when, once you've been through, you know, once you learn to street fight, you know, you're, 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 you're better set. And that's what this stuff is. It's an axe battle. Yeah, and, and all the information is in the website. You know, we can't we can't give everybody all the one-on-one education on these calls. The the whole idea of these calls is to help people uh, with answering questions once they go into the website and study the organized and and well-presented material when they have questions about how that may apply to their certain set of facts 
in their situation, then we can answer that. But we can't just, you know, if you think you're going to learn what you need to learn by just listening to stuff and asking a few questions on these calls, you're only kidding yourself. You'll, you'll learn just enough to be dangerous to yourself is what it boils down to. Because you have to be able to argue in court yourself when you go into court. Right. And you learn that by just reading this stuff and reading it and reading it and listening to the webinars. And there's, there's a ton of, there's, you know, like hundreds of hours of webinars and, you know, I think it's you don't have to listen to now, John. Yeah, you don't have to listen to all that, but you can listen to specific ones for what you're dealing with. Right. It's all broken you know, down by, you know, what it is you're dealing with, what you what you need to learn, you know, whether you're defending right. a, a lawsuit, whether you're suing somebody in, in court, whether you're in discovery, you know. I mean, there's it's all broken down in, in various categories. And, and preparing for this stuff, you're going to want to pull your credit report um, and just, you know, that that thing right there, I mean, there's like, 10, 10 different ways to sue the credit reporting agency to get some money out of them. And any one of these debt collectors that puts a, a line on your credit report or or obtains a copy of your credit, credit report, you can sue them for that. And if, if, God forbid, your account went to Midland Funding or someone like that, your phone would start to ring. And if you learn what to say and write down the number each time they call, you know, because it's usually a robot calling and um, how to recognize that and you track the information and then um, you can sue them and the phone calls add up big time. You can get 500 to $1,500 per phone call. And we've had members that have had over 100 phone calls and won in court and got huge settlements. Yeah. You know, we've like had multiple, yeah, multiple people get six figures on TCPA settlements. Okay. So um, there's a lot of incentive to do this. <laughs> okay. Um. Uh. What What did you say the individual's uh, email address was that I can contact? Uh. That's um, to Ter- uh. That's to Terry. Yeah. It's Queen Songbird at Gmail dot com. It's just one word. Queen Songbird at Gmail dot com. And all you got to do is put there. You know, interested in sharing a membership. And and. How long was the wait before I get uh, activation? You, you don't know. It just depends on whether uh, Terry's got people. There was two people that came on the uh, beginning of the call. One was saying she needed to, to uh, wanted to share membership, and there was one of our members that said, well, I'll share one with her. So uh, that was two people that did it right at the beginning of the call tonight. Yeah, okay. and Terry has a call on Thursday night, and if you call in on that too, I mean, she'll announce it on her call, and there's more people on that one too. You know, there's diff- there's people on this call, there's people on Terry's call on Thursday night, and um, you know, there's people out there that are willing to do it. All right. Okay. All right. Uh, thank you guys for your uh, information and time. All right. You're very Merry welcome. Christmas. <clears throat> Merry Christmas. All right. We're going to go back to who knows truth, and then we're going to wrap it up. We're running past time tonight. Did you tell I had a cold? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you sound a little snuffly, cold. John. Oh, it's... Yeah, no fun. Oh. All right, who knows truth? You got one last question for us tonight? Yes. When, I, when, we're, when we're sharing a membership for Jesse's website, am I giving my password and username out? Is that yeah, what, what I'm doing? The, the, the way it works, the person that has the membership... You get two um, 
IP addresses so that, you know, like for me, I can use two different computers. Like I could use a laptop and then my desktop. All right. So you got two different IPs for uh, that. That that keeps everybody from, you know, giving it to all their buddies and everything else. And that won't work. So what you do is you give the user ID and the password to the other person that's paying the other half of the membership so that they can log in and they, okay. they use the other IP address. So when we're calling up on like on a Monday, oh, that wouldn't apply on Monday. That's only for Jesse's calls. It, no, it's got like, nothing to do with the calls. It's, it's, it's strictly for access to uh, the website. Okay. All right, that clears it up. Yeah, now, yeah, it doesn't would, have anything to do with the calls whatsoever. Okay. So I was looking at the webinars, and at one time you had a heading that said Summer Slam. I don't see that anymore. I'm, has that disappeared? or there's been things uh, I'm sure it's still in there. Okay. The taking your money section. Oh, okay. Let me go back. Uh, and there's, that's under the webinars? It, in the, the webinar archives. Okay, taking your money uh, all right, then I will look for that uh, as long as yeah, I know it's that's, there. that's about how to write the lawsuits. I did that. <laughs> seems like it <laughs> seems like ten years ago. Oh man. Okay. Well, that that's it under the oh. webinar webinar. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to okay. get into the website here and, and look myself. It's that's where it's been. So uh, it should be right in there. The SummerSlam series was uh, all the uh, uh, all the stuff on how to write the. Uh, Look, uh, I'm on the uh, webinar. Uh, litigation tools and research. Webinar. Okay. Litigation. I don't see anything in the webinar. Yeah. Lawsuit process, beginner's guide, lawsuit process, legal writing and name. So do I properly write a complaint? Yeah. There's stuff right there, complaints, what not to do or leave out. Find and this is in the webinar archive? Because I'm looking at the it, webinar It sure is. It's... Uh, okay. And it's under the litigation tools and resources. Oh, okay. All right. There's all sorts of stuff I've done in there. Uh, legal writing in plain plain English. Looking for the word. Dealing with a motion to dismiss. When the dog bites the mailman. Doing miscellaneous motion. I mean, uh, discovery. There's just all sorts of stuff. And that's the Summer Slam? No, I don't see the actual terminology of the Summer Slam. Dave, you could have mute someone. Yeah, that's in her background, I think, all that noise. Is that all that noise in No, no. Nope. <laughs> no. Uh, Everybody's in bed and no one was up. Oh, okay. Well, whoever was making all the noise there with the kids, uh, it appears to have stopped now. I thought that was hers. Where did he put the uh, Summer Slam? Good question. They moved everything around. I really don't know. Taking their money section. I looked in that. that. That's not the webinar, though. I don't think. Webinar archive? 
taking your money's not in the taking their money's not in the webinar archive. Yeah, that's it, it. They don't change that titling on that. You think they changed the titling so there's no there's no longer a title that says oh, yeah. SummerSlam? Yeah, I don't know what they did with it. Uh, Gary, Gary and Jesse have been rearranging a lot of things in there. I don't know whether asking for them. Okay, all right, I'll do that. Yeah. Okay. Well, that takes care of my question. Well, yeah. How do I properly write a complaint? You know, I mean, there's there's something right there. Complaints, what not to do or leave out. Finding great arguments and language and pleadings. Making arguments and using case law and support. Case citations, doing them properly. You know, dealing with a motion to dismiss. Is that under litigation, litigation tools and resource? Yeah, this is under litigation under tools and resource. Okay. All right, I do see that. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Yeah. All right. Now let's see. Example case documents. I'm just looking here. The in the uh, uh, taking their money section, you've got example case documents, FDCPA, FCCPA complaints, and uh, taking their money links, and, uh, resources. I think taking their money is missing from the webinar archive. Yeah. Yeah. At least the link to get to it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know, because it sure isn't there. I mean, all, all that stuff is out there. I'll be so, I have to mention that to Jesse. Okay. I will put that on the, on the form. Yeah, because they've been doing a lot of work rearranging stuff in the, uh, in the website, but if they forgot to put that, that, uh, link up here that goes to that. Uh, yeah. So. All right. Okay. Well, does that answer your questions? Pretty much. On on the forum, can I ask a question? Because I don't see any place where I can ask a question. Well, yeah. That's what the forum's okay. for. I just don't see the spot. I'll, I'll look for that spot. I just don't see where I can. I'm on the forum now. Um, yeah, I'll uh, I'll figure. That's it out. what the forum is for: is to ask questions. Right. But, uh, looking to, for the place where you ask a question. The forum expectations is all I see, and what you want, and, and the, I see a, a list of questions already asked or, or, or categories, but I'm looking for where it says to ask a question. You go into a section. Uh huh. Oh, okay. You go into a section of the forum and ask your question in that specific section. Go into okay. the taking their money section mm -hmm. in the forum, and then post post your question. I I can't find the SummerSlam series in the 
<laughs> Whatever that was. Well, somebody being a little stupid. That was somebody in South Texas. And they just disappeared. It, and if you if you go up on the upper right hand corner and click site search and just type in slam, the first link will be to the Summer Slam page. What yeah. the search? Yep. Yeah. I think Gary forgot to maybe put a link on that page. Yeah. I think John. Yeah. Could be. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, because I'm. Yeah, I know they wouldn't have deleted that. No, no way. It's just with all the work that they've been doing on the website, and I know Gary's been extremely busy with Jesse's just had yep. him yep. buried. Yep. So, okay. Uh, I will do. That's it for my my questions for tonight. Okay. All right. Uh, well, that's going to wrap things up for tonight. Uh, thanks to everybody for joining us. It's been pretty much a normal Monday night, considering it was Christmas. Yeah, really. Yeah, I mean, we've had a bunch of discussion about debt issues tonight. We had a little bit of crypto talk and stuff, but we've definitely had uh, debt-related issues. And, of course, that's why we're here every Monday, so that if people have got questions and they've got situations to deal with, that uh, we can help them with it. That's why we're here. And uh, I want to say a very special thank you to both John and Terry for joining me on a holiday. And, uh, you know, I, I hope everybody sees for themselves the commitment of those of us that moderate these calls and, and uh, do this. We're here even on these holidays. Uh, that's our commitment to you. Please, the only thing that we ask of you is to spread the word that we're here, that there is help available. We don't have an advertising budget. It takes all of you guys out there talking to other people wherever you go, whether it be at the post office, a grocery store, getting gas, whatever, Mention how people can find us because there's still plenty of people out there dealing with lots of different financial issues. There's going to be a boatload more of them coming down the line in the future, but there's still any number of people that are out there right now. So please help us by spreading the word. And, of course, tomorrow night there'll be no call. There is no call until January 9th on Tuesday nights. But, of course, later this week, on Thursday night, Terry's going to have a belated Wednesday call, like she has been doing for quite some time. And if for some reason you're not on Terry's email list to get the reminder for that call, send an email to queensongbird at gmail.com and just say, please put me on the list. She will send one email reminder out to you, only one save that so you have the call number and the pin number she doesn't send them out all the time because she has limited bandwidth uh you know she moved out in the boonies and uh, that's one of the drawbacks to living out in the country that she dearly loves so uh when you get that email email hang on to it or write it down put it in your address book or whatever you uh you do to save important information but that'll be it That'll be 8 o'clock Eastern time on Thursday night. I got me a pair of calf high, knee-high, wine-suede-colored, fur-lined boots for Christmas. They are so comfy <laughs> and warm. 
Yeah, that's, it's that time of the year. You need warm. Yeah. Yeah, we need warm here. The heat's on here. Um, we're we're going into cold territory now. Uh, we're going to be uh, doing a lot of cold stuff all the way and, until about the 6th of January. Our long-range forecast is for uh, way, way, way below normal. So, But I'm fine. I picked well, up all my supplies. 20s, but we don't have yep. any snow, so yep. that's good, and I just don't have to go outside. Well, again, uh, I will tell everybody, uh, I hope everybody had a very Merry Christmas. I had a good Christmas. I hope everybody else had a very Merry Christmas. And I'll just talk to you Thursday night on Terry's call if you happen to join us there. Otherwise, for Dallas Death Discussion, I'm going to make you wait all the way to next year. We will be here on New Year's Day, January 1st. 2018. That and will I'll, be the next Dallas Death Discussion. So. And I'll see you on Thursday. All righty, everybody. You have a great evening, great rest of the week. We'll talk to you Thursday. And again, Merry Christmas. Good, Good night. night. Christmas. Merry Christmas. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.